Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30. That's the text again this morning. The message title is Weighty Words for Husbands. And I want to start out this morning exactly the way that I started out last morning, and that's with a reminder of Psalm 18, verse 30. There has been much confusion in the world in which we live concerning the roles of husband and wife. I mentioned last week that God created male and female, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, in his image. There is absolute equality between husband and wife, but there is at the same time a very uniqueness or distinctiveness in role. Wives, we learned last week, are to order themselves in an orderly fashion under the leadership of their husbands. That's what it means to wives submit to your husbands in all things. And now we turn our attention to the men, to the husbands, who are called to the very high, the weighty responsibility to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Let me remind you of the psalmist's words in Psalm 1830. He says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Submission for the wives, ordering of yourself under the leadership of your husband, husbands being the head of your families, husbands laying down your life in lion-hearted, sacrificial service for your wife and your families. That is God's design, and as for him, his ways are perfect. Men, don't take the passive approach that this world preaches to you. God's ways are perfect. Again, what Paul is doing in our text this morning, he's he's taking the general principle of mutual submission. If you let your eyes glance back to chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's taking that general principle of mutual submission, and he's applying it to the family unit first, speaking first to the wives, this morning to the husbands. He'll apply it to parents and their children uh, in the coming weeks, and he'll apply it to slaves and masters in coming weeks. We'll talk about that. Here, Paul instructs husbands and wives with respect to their God-given roles. And so this morning, what we're going to do is I'm going to try, by God's grace, to unpack something of the concept of the husband being the servant leader of his wife and his home. You ready, men? I encourage you to stand with us as we read God's Word this morning. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 30, pens the following words. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. You may be seated. Four points on your outline this morning. Number one, husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a sacrificial love. Husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a sacrificial love. Let me draw your attention back to verse 25. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
You see, just as wives are to bring themselves under their husband's leadership in an orderly fashion, so husbands have a role to discharge. And that role is that they are charged with the task of fiercely loving their wives. How are we doing, husbands? Are we fiercely loving our wives? You see, love is a very convoluted subject matter. What the world sells to us as love is radically different, radically different than the lion-hearted, sacrificial love that Christian men are called to lavish upon their wives. You see, the, the world defines love as romantic feelings. But that's not what the Bible says is love. The world defines love as physical attraction. But that's not what the Bible defines as love. The world defines love as intimacy. But that's not what the Bible defines as love. The world defines love as needing and being needed, but that's not what the Bible defines as love, or benefiting from, but that's not what the Bible presents to us as love. Loving words alone are not love. Loving actions alone are not love. Being in love is certainly not love. There are days that any Christian couple in here this morning, any, any married couple, husband and wife, would tell you that there are days in marriage where they would sell each other for a snicker bar. I mean, there are some days where wives are, are forced almost, because of the way that we hard-headed husbands act and react or don't act, that they would like to put us on Craigslist with the heading free on the front porch, come and get him. Amen or oh me? But God's word paints for us a much different picture of a husband's love for his wife. You see, a Christian husband, as a Christian husband, you are to make Christ's love for his bride, the church, the pattern for your love for your wife. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, I just want you to think about that statement for a moment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, what comes to mind, men, when you think about fulfilling that responsibility? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I hope the question that comes to your mind is, how did Christ love the church? Because if I am to be obedient, and I, if I am to fulfill this responsibility, I must know something about how Jesus Christ loves the church. Because that's to be the model and the pattern for my marriage. I just want you to think for a moment about the, about the, the vast love that Christ has for His bride. It's an unconditional love. The love that Christ has for His bride and which is to be a pattern for you husbands in your own marriage is an unconditional love. Think about Romans 5.8. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's an unconditional love. It's a volitional love. In other words, He loves us because He chose to do so, not because He had to. He chose freely to love us. Let me draw your attention back to Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? Because we deserved it? Absolutely not. Because it pleased him to do so. He chose us not only unconditionally. He loved us not only unconditionally, but he loved us volitionally of his own free choosing. The love that Christ has for the church 
that we are to mirror men in our marriages is also an intense love. It's an intense love. Let me draw your attention right back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's an intense love. It's an unending love. In other words, we don't get to a point where we, where we out-sin God's love for us. Where we don't perform well enough that his love for us in some way diminishes. It's an unending love for those of us that are hidden in Christ. It's an unselfish love. We draw your attention back to Philippians chapter 2. I mean, here, here is the God-man who, who being the exact imprint and representation of God, considered equality with God something that he couldn't even grasp. But he took the very form of a servant coming in the likeness of man and he laid down his life for us. It's an unselfish love. It's a purposeful love. He loves us purposefully. Let me draw your attention. We haven't even gotten there in the text, but let me draw your attention to verses 26 and 27, chapter 5. Paul writes that he, that's Christ, might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That is purpose. His love is a purposeful love. His love is a sacrificial love. Think about Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But I now live for him who died for me. It's a sacrificial love. And God's love, as demonstrated in Christ for his bride, the church, that we husbands are to mirror in our marriages, is also a manifested love. In other words, Jesus tells us with words how much he loves us. He shows us with his actions how much he loves us. You see, love is a verb. It's an action. Uh, Young men, let me get your attention real quick. Young single men, if you ever tell a young lady that you love her, you better be able to explain to her what you mean. Because it does not mean an emotion, it does not mean a feeling, not that it's void of those things, but that is not what it is comprehensively. As we look at love, as it is defined in Scripture, we see things like this. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and laid His life down for us as an atoning sacrifice and a propitiation for our sins. You see, love is a verb. Young men, when you communicate your love for a young lady one day, you better be able to explain to her what you mean by that. Young ladies, let me get your ears. You have a young man that tells you he loves you and he doesn't explain what that means, you better ask him what he means. All right? Jesus tells us what he means. He demonstrates what he means in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He manifests his love. He protects us. He prays for us. He guards us. He strengthens us. He helps us. He defends us. He teaches us. He comforts us. He chastens us. He equips us and he provides for all of our needs in Christ. It's a manifested love. Let me run you back through that list just a second, uh, men. Now think about your relationship with your wives. The love that Christ has for the church is an unconditional love. It's a volitional love. It's freely. 
It's an intense love. It's an unending love. It's an unselfish love. It's a purposeful love. It's a sacrificial love. And it's a manifested or demonstrated love. Men, is that the way we are loving our wives? Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church, that's how Christ loved the church. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, gives us the Bible's concept of a sacrificial leader. Some of you might have Matthew 20, 28 memorized. If you don't, I would encourage you to commit it to memory. Matthew writes, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, men, as the leader of your home, you are first and foremost to be a servant there. That means that your concern is first and foremost not for yourself, but for others. That means that your chief concern, men, isn't to give orders, but instead to give perspective and encouragement and gentle correction when it's necessary. It means that you shouldn't have it your own way, but rather the way of your wife and the way of others carries primacy in your life. Means that you should be willing to sacrifice your personal needs, your personal wants, your personal desires, your aspirations, your time, and every other resource that you have for your wife and your family. A servant leader. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's a high calling, gentlemen. It's a high calling. And I'm in the battle with you. I don't stand here as a man who's got it all together. Okay? The teacher is also a student. It's interesting to note that in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15, don't turn there, but you'll remember John chapter 13 as being the text where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And it's interesting to note there in John chapter 13 that the emblem of servant leadership is not a throne and a scepter. It's a bowl and a towel. Men, how are we doing at serving our wives, being the servant leaders that Christ has called us to be? Let me try to flesh this out for you just a little bit more. What does it mean for us men to love our wives sacrificially? What does it mean? What does it look like? Here are just a few thoughts for you. To love your wife sacrificially means that you must daily die to yourself. If you want to be the servant leader that Christ has called you to be, then you must be dying to yourself daily. You remember last week that I encouraged the ladies every morning when they get out of bed and they put feet to the floor, that is a new opportunity to put their will and their wishes and their desires in the grave. Men, likewise, every morning when you peel out of bed and you put feet to the floor, that is afforded to you a new opportunity to take your wants, your wills, your desires, your wishes, your prerogative, and to put it in the grave. And to take whatever your wife's will and wants and wishes are and to hold them up high. To love your wife sacrificially means that you must daily be dying to self. You see, the full measure of Christ's love for the church was in his dying for her. You see, true love is costly. If our love, men, for our wives is not costing us something, there is a big problem. True love is costly. Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. James Montgomery Boyce once said this, and I think there's a ton of truth in this. He said, no good woman will struggle hard against a man 
who's willing to die for her. Husbands, if you're sitting here this morning and you think it'd be a whole lot easier for me to lead if I had a submissive wife, let me turn the equation on you. It may be a whole lot easier for your wife to be submissive if you would lead in the way that God called you to lead. I think that we men bear the brunt of the responsibility. I don't think that we bear exclusive responsibility, but I think we learn something from the fact that in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the lives of humanity through the disobedience of one man, one woman, when God came walking in the garden in the cool of the day, whose name did he call? Adam. Adam, where are you? Well, I hid from you because I was afraid. Why were you afraid? Well, I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? You see, I think we men bear the brunt of the responsibility. I say it this way to young couples in pre-marriage counseling. Guys, understand me and understand me well. If Jesus comes knocking on the door today, he's asking for the man of the house. He doesn't mean that wives have no responsibility. But the person he wants to speak to first is the man of the house. Are you being the man that God has called you to be? No good woman will ever, will, will ever struggle hard against a man who's willing to lay down his life and die for her. One of the verses that I have young couples in pre-marriage counseling memorize, and if you are here and you've been married 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years, and you don't have 1 Peter 3, 7 memorized, let me encourage you men to memorize 1 Peter 3, 7. Peter says this, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. That means commit to be a perpetual learner of your wife. Guard what goes into her heart and her mind. Seek to understand her. Seek to understand her fears and her failures. What are her dreams and her desires, her temptations and her weaknesses? To love her the way that God has called you to love your bride, you must live with her in an understanding way. And for you to seek to understand someone else, it means you must put the person you're seeking to understand before yourself. Men. Greek history recounts the story of a wife, uh, of, of the wife of one of King Cyrus's generals. And accused of treachery, this wife, she was condemned to die. And when her husband, the general, of King Cyrus, was made aware of her sentence. He rushed to the palace and he burst into the throne room, a stunt that could have cost him his own life, by the way. And he laid down prostrate before the king and he pleaded, Oh Lord, Cyrus, take my life instead of hers. Let me die in her place. King Cyrus, who was by all historical accounts a noble and very sensitive man, was touched by the husband's offer. And he replied saying this, Love like this? must not be spoiled by death. And then he gave the woman back to her husband and let them freely depart. And as the husband and her, and her I'm sorry, and the wife as, and her husband were, were freely departing, they were having this conversation. The husband said to his wife, did you notice how kindly the king looked at us when he gave you that pardon? And here's the wife's reply. This is stunning. I had no eyes for the king. I saw only the man who was willing to die in my place. You see, husbands, most of us will not be required to give our own lives physically for our wives, 
But every day is a new opportunity to wake up and die to self for your wife and your family in countless lesser ways. To love your wife sacrificially means to love her such that you daily die to yourself. To love your wife sacrificially means that you honor her with your presence. Means that you honor her with your presence. Means that you actually want to spend time with her. One of our staff members' wives uh, has talked to me in the past about uh, ladies that she works with giving her a hard time because she actually enjoys going to lunch with her husband. You see, because some of the ladies that she goes to work with every day go to work to get away from their husbands. And so the thought of meeting their husband for lunch is a foreign idea. She loves to spend time with her husband. Likewise, men, husbands, we should delight and honor our wives with our presence. That you just want to spend time with her, that you want to be with her, that you want to lavish her with your, with your being there. No husband is fulfilling his God-given responsibility to his wife who does not delight to be with her. And I'm guilty here in many ways, but, but husbands, if we would rather be in a deer blind than with our wife, something's wrong. If we would rather be at work than with our wives, something is wrong. If we would rather be spending time with our buddies than spending time with our wife, then something is wrong. That does not mean that any of those things are inherently evil. They're not. It just means that living sacrificially for your wife means that you want to be with her. That you want to spend time with her. That you want to honor her with your presence. To love your wife sacrificially means that you'll pray for your wife just as Christ did for the church. Let me just have you write down on your uh, outline there, uh, John chapter 17. Amongst a plethora of other places in the New Testament, that's Jesus' high priestly prayer in the garden just before his crucifixion. Jesus prayed for his bride, the church. Man, if we're not praying for our wives, then we're sinning against the Lord, first of all, because we're called to pray for others. Pray continually without ceasing. Men, honor your wives by praying for them. Pray that they would be growing in godliness. Pray that their hearts would be pure. Pray that they would be loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Pray that they would be a good witness for Christ. Pray that they would have patience. Pray that they would have a gentle, tender, kind, humble heart. And so on and so forth. Men, be praying for your wife. And if you ever come to a point where you don't know what to pray... Pray that she would just look more like Jesus. To love your wife sacrificially means that you keep yourself, men, for her and her alone. You see, the bride of Christ never has to worry that her bridegroom will be unfaithful to her. Husbands, let me remind you that when you stood at the altar and you said, I do to your wife, what you said in that moment is, I don't to every other woman on the face of the planet. And that means not only you don't with your body, but it means that you don't with your eyes. It means that you don't with your heart. It means that you don't with your mind. You see, adultery starts right here, fellas. When you stood before that woman, you committed your life to her and her alone, your faithfulness to her and her alone. 
And that means you don't to every other woman on the face of the planet. You see, a wife whose husband loves like Christ can rest in the assurance of her husband's fidelity to her and her alone. Men, you've been called to love your wife faithfully until one of you puts the other in the grave. To love your wife sacrificially means that you love her for no benefit received in return. Means that you love her for no benefit received in return. You see, a husband's not commanded to love his wife because of what she is or because of what she's not. He's commanded to love her because it's God's will for him to love her. It's certainly intended for a husband to admire and to be attracted by his wife's beauty and her winsomeness and her kindness and her gentleness or any other positive quality or virtue that she possesses by God's grace. But such things bring great blessing and enjoyment, but they can also be the destruction of a marriage if that's what you base your marriage on. If every appealing characteristic and every appealing virtue of your wife disappears, would you still love your wife just the same? Why? Because she's your wife. Because that's her position. Not because of what, what you, she brings to the table. Not because of, of any benefits that you get. But that you love her because of who she is. Because she's your wife. Because she's your bride. Because she's God's gift to you. Loving your wife sacrificially means that you love her, expecting no benefit in return. That's what it means to love your wife graciously. Grace is unmerited favor. So to love your wife graciously or to love your wife redemptively, it means to love your wife for her position, not her performance. Because of who she is, because of what she does for you, See, your love for your wife, men, husbands, it needs to encompass all your wife's weaknesses, all her failures, all her inconsistencies, and all her sin. The good, the bad, and the ugly. That's what you said, I do too. And likewise, let me remind you, lest you have some exalted view of yourself, that's what she said, I do too. Okay? And then also, to love your wife sacrificially means that you'll do whatever it takes to protect and provide for her and your family. You are to be her protector. Physical protection, I mean, men, it should go without saying, if you hear a bump in the night, you'd better be the first one walking down the hall to investigate. I mean, you don't roll over to your wife in that moment and say, hey, babe, this is an egalitarian marriage, and it's your turn to go check it out. You don't do that, men. No. Your wife may have to finish off what you started, but you better be sure that you're laying cold on the floor. Think for your family. Don't put them in a position that would compromise their their physical protection. But even greater than that, you are to be the spiritual protector of your family. You see, danger, spiritual dangers beset your family, and they are innumerable. They're often subtle, and without a discerning heart and discerning mind, they can work themselves right into your home. You see, men, you were called to be valiant warriors of your home. 
Let me remind you of 1 Peter 5.8. We have an adversary who roars around like a lion, seeking to devour whom he will. Here are just a few ways that you can provide spiritual protection for your family. Men, pray with them and pray for them daily. Pray with and for your family daily. That's one way you can be a spiritual protector of your family. Number two, help establish biblical convictions in your home. Hey guys, we're not going to watch this. We're not going to go here. We're not going to think about these things. Speak in this manner, and here's why. Don't, don't just curb the behavior. If all you do is say, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do this, uh, then what our, our wives and our children learn is just performance. They just learn, here are the hoops that I have to jump through. Be able to explain to them why. That's what a conviction is. A conviction is based on something, not just behavior modification. But you are to be the leader in that. Help establish biblical convictions in your home. Here's how we're going to dress. Here's the TV we're going to watch. Here's the movies we're going to watch, the music we're going to listen to, the friends we're going to spend time with, the reading material that we're going to take in. Convictions. Third, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. If you want to be a spiritual protector of your home, deal with issues timely. Don't let anger smolder in your marriage. Leadership, servant leadership means taking the initiative in reconciliation. If you need to fact check me on that, just look at the cross. Servant leadership takes the initiative in reconciliation. You're also to be a provider, man, not just a a protector, but a provider. You're to provide for your family physically. You're to provide for your family spiritually, to provide spiritual food for your family. And here's one thing that I'll tell you. If you are to provide spiritual food for your family, you must know where to obtain it, men. And not only must you know where to obtain it, but you must be going to the source and obtaining it. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't possess yourself. Men, are you spending time in the Word? Are you having a daily quiet time? Are you meeting with the Lord? Are you exercising spiritual disciplines in the Christian life? I hope so. I hope so. For the glory of Christ and the good of your wife. If you want to spiritually provide for your wife and your family, it means that you must be a man who follows hard after God. If you're not feeding your own soul, you'll have nothing to feed anyone else. Men, you are to love your wives and you are to provide for them and you are to protect them. That's what it means to be a servant leader. How are we doing there, men? Husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a sacrificial love. Number two on your outline. Husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a sanctifying love. Not only a sacrificial love, but with a sanctifying love. Let me draw your attention to verses 26 and 27. Paul writes this. He says that he might sanctify her. It's right there in the text. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, God has called you and me to the lofty task of being a sanctifying agent for your wives. And I know just by looking out here this morning that some of you are more sanctifying to your wives than others. 
Some of you are more difficult to deal with and therefore sanctify your wives more so than others. To sanctify means simply to set apart or to make holy. See, loving your wife in a sanctifying manner or loving your wife redemptively means that she should look more like Christ as a result of being married to you. Your wife, men, should bear more resemblance to the Lord Jesus Christ as a result of being married to you. Sanctification is solely the work of Christ, but God uses you, husbands, as an agent in the progressive sanctification process. You see, more important than your wife's physical beauty is your wife's spiritual beauty. How often do you even consider that? How, how often do you consider your wife's spiritual beauty and being a part in the process of her becoming more beautiful spiritually? Fellas, pray for your wives. Pray that she would increasingly know and love the grace of Christ. Love her enough not to let her sin go unnoticed. To be set apart, to be sanctified, means that we're growing in holiness. Husbands, love your wives enough not to let their sin go unnoticed. Now, don't drop the gavel on them when they sin. Don't beat them up when they sin, spiritually. Love them, encourage them, challenge them, point them to the cross. Don't let their sin go unnoticed, but don't decimate them either. Point them to the gospel. Point them to the grace of God. Encourage them. Love them. Pray that they would fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. You are one of the graces in your wife's life that God desires to use to lead her to daily repentance. Likewise, she is one of the agents that in God's divine wisdom and prerogative, he has chosen to use to lead you to daily repentance. Wash her with the word. Encourage your wife with the word. And if you need a motivation to memorize scripture, let this be one of them so that you might share that with your wife, that you might encourage your wife with the scripture that you have hidden in your heart and your mind. You'll both benefit from it, I can guarantee you. How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. You'll be the beneficiary of memorizing God's word, men, but so will your wives. So will your wives. Remind your wife of the gospel daily. Help her to apply the the lavish grace of God to her life. See, verses 26 and 27. Let your eyes look there again. What Paul is saying there, he's saying that though the redeemed, blood-bought church of God is positionally perfect. She is not yet practically perfect. Here's what I mean by that. The moment that we came to Christ, husbands and wives, children, young people, college students, the moment you came to Christ, you were made positionally righteous, positionally perfect, positionally holy. All of your sin paid for at the cross All of Christ's righteous record imputed to your account. In that sense, you were perfectly fitted, outfitted for heaven 
that moment. You lacked nothing. Having said that, life between conversion and the day that we breathe life's final breath or the day that Christ returns, that, that middle ground there is the area that we call progressive sanctification. It's, it's what we call the already but not yet. We're positionally perfect. When God looks at us in Christ, he sees the shed blood of Christ spilled for us. He sees a perfect record, a perfect account, not because of us, but because of Christ's record imputed to us. At the same time, in daily practice, we're being made more and more uh, like Christ. We're being conformed more and more into his image. Men, you have a responsibility by washing your wife with the water of the word, by encouraging her, by praying for her, by giving her spiritual leadership, you have the opportunity and the privilege, the responsibility, might I add, of helping her in the sanctification process. Helping her bear more fruit for Christ, to look more like Christ. Husbands, you are not your wife's savior, but you are called to the weighty task of lovingly, with great care and patience and grace, helping her to grow and to look and to act and to speak more like her Savior, Jesus Christ. How are you doing there, men? How are you doing? Husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a sanctifying love. I'm reminded of Titus chapter 3. Verses 5 through 7, Paul tells us, speaking about God, he saved us. He saved us. Let me just stop right there. I hope that those those words, those three simple words, never, never become commonplace to you. He saved me. He saved me. Not because of works done by me in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. How, Paul? Paul? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that by being justified by his grace, that's positional. I'm justified. So that by being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of the eternal promise. Men, are you washing your wives with the water of the word? I love this language here in verse... 27, that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Men, let me ask you this question. Do you have a vision for your wife's spiritual growth and development? Do you have a vision for your wife's spiritual growth and development? I mean, when you look at your wife, can can you see through the spots and and through the wrinkles to what she will one day be? Can, Can you get that picture in your mind? We would be better husbands if we could see our wives through the lenses of what she is on her way to becoming what she will be when she enters into heaven and is once and for all perfected. Get a vision for that, men. And then feel the weight of the fact that you, by God's grace, though you will fail at many points along the road, as do I, have a responsible responsible part in that very transformation. But do you have a vision for your wife's spiritual growth and development? Or do you just expect that that's the church's responsibility, that she's just going to come here on Sunday mornings and and somehow by listening to the preaching, that's, that's how that's going to get done. That's a piece of the puzzle. But if Jesus comes knocking on the door today, men, 
He wants to speak to the man of the house. Men, your calling as a husband is a high calling. And it's one that should not be taken lightly. And the woman who sits at your side right now is a daughter of the king. Let me just give you about five seconds to let that sit on your heart and mind. The woman who sits at your side, before she is your wife, she's a daughter of the king. That'll change the way you lead her. And because she's a daughter of the king, that means that she, just like everything else that God gives us, is given as a stewardship to you. That means that you have a responsibility to nurture her. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. To nourish and protect. We're going to do it very quickly. God expects, let me me get your ears and your eyes, guys. God expects, with a capital E, that everything he gives us to steward, we return back to him in better condition than he gave it to us in. What about the young fella that had the talents and went and put them in the ground and didn't invest them? Wicked servant, he was called. You didn't make more with what I gave you. You didn't invest it. You didn't use it wisely. It's called stewardship, men. Your wives are on loan to you. They are under your stewardship, under your care. And that means that you have the responsibility as her husband to present her back one day to her capital H husband in better shape than you were given her in. In other words, God expects that your wife be more holy, more Christ-like, more faithful, and more fruitful than she would have otherwise been if she'd never married you. Number three, husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a caring love. A caring love, a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, and a caring love here in verse 28. Let me draw your attention to the verse. Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. Greek mythology tells of a handsome young man who loved no one until one day sitting upon the side of a lake saw his own reflection and fell in love with his own reflection. And he was so lovesick that he finally wasted away and died and was turned into a flower that now bears his name, Narcissus. Now, you say, well, what does that have to do? Well, here's what it has to do. While we should certainly seek to avoid an inordinate love of ourselves, the scriptures do teach that there is a love of self that is godly. And you are to love your wives as you love your own self. And in doing so, men, if you love your wives well, you are really loving yourself well. And in that sense, it is, it is good and righteous and holy and, and right. We're not to have an inordinate view or inordinate love of ourselves, but in loving our wives well, we are really loving ourselves well. If we are not loving our wives well, if we're not being the men that God has called us to be, the husbands that God has called us to be, then we are not loving ourselves well, according to Scripture. You see, marriage ideally produces two people who are as much the same person as two people can be. That's why marriage is referred to as a one-flesh relationship. 
Marriage ideally produces two individuals that, that are as much the same person as two individuals can be. So men, if you love your wife well, you're actually loving yourself well. Number four, husbands, God has called you to pursue your wife with a tender love, a tender love. Let me draw your attention to verses 29 and 30. Paul writes, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Here's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that that a husband's needs, a husband's desires, his aspirations, his hopes, his body, and his comfort, everything else that's important to him, he is to love his wife in that same way. Just as it is unnatural to hate or destroy your own flesh, so it is unnatural and unpleasing to God when husbands don't seek to tenderly love their brides. You see, we are hardwired with a desire to nourish and cherish ourselves. And Paul is saying you should nourish and cherish your wives just as you take care of yourself. You see, a man carefully protects and provides for the needs of his own body, does he not? He doesn't deliberately do that which would bring himself into harm's way. When he's hungry, he eats. When he's thirsty, he drinks. When he's tired, he sleeps. When he's in pain, he goes to the doctor. If he sees an object coming at him, he raises his hands in protection. He very naturally and carefully and fervently nourishes and cherishes himself. Now, what Paul is saying is, in the same manner, or likewise, husbands are to, with great tenderness, nourish and cherish their wives. Nourish means to rear or to feed. means to, to bring up to maturity. Men, you have a responsibility to be helping your wife mature in her relationship with Christ. You see, in this particular context, nourish doesn't have as much the, the physical meaning as it does the spiritual meaning. Husbands, you're to seek to nourish your wife's soul spiritually. How about to Cherish. You know, in our English vocabulary, to cherish means to hold something dear, uh, to, to protect something, to prize something. And it, this, this instance here uh, definitely encompasses that definition. But it, cherish here means something maybe a little bit different than what you would think. And the word cherish here in the Greek, it carries the idea of warming or softening something by heat. To cherish, to warm something, to soften it by, by heat. And so then to cherish your wife is to use your tender love and your physical affection to give her the warmth and the comfort and protection and security that she desires and that you, by God's grace, have the ability to provide for her. How are you doing there, man? Are you nourishing your wife's soul? Are you cherishing her? Are you giving her the warmth and security that she needs as how she was made by God? You have the ability to provide that need. How are we doing here, men? I think we would do well, just bringing it to a close here this morning, to examine ourselves often. To ask the question, where, where am I in this process of becoming the husband that God's called me to be? Where am I in this process of, be, of becoming the man that God's called me to be? Am I, by God's grace, excelling? Or am I failing in some issues? Men, I know that we're failing in some issues. And here's what I have to say to you. In those places that we're failing, repent. Confess that to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Ask your wife for forgiveness and move forward in grace and seek to grow. 
You see, that's what's so great about the gospel, is that when we blow it, when we sin, there's grace. It's never a license to sin, but there's grace. 